Welcome to another episode of the Ask a CISO podcast, powered by Harangi, Asia's leader in cloud security. Every episode, you get insider tips and insights into the current challenges and newest trends in cybersecurity from the world's best experts to help level up your cybersecurity career. Here's your host, Jeremy Snyder, to introduce today's guests. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Ask a CISO podcast. My name is Jeremy Snyder. I'm the founder and CEO of Firetail.io, and I'm the host for today's episode. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Nick Lumsden from Tenacity Cloud. Nick is the co-founder and CTO of Tenacity Cloud. Nick has more than 20 years of experience as a leader and technologist and is adept at rapidly growing, transforming, creating, and running organizations in the cloud and healthcare technology companies. Nick also has deep experience in operations, product management, and engineering, especially in stage two rapid growth companies. Besides his professional hats, Nick is also an athlete, father, musician, woodworker, gardener, bookworm, geek, late night coder, and frequent outdoor adventurer. Bit of a renaissance man, I think it would be fair to say, Nick. And thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Jeremy. I'm a bit uh, eclectic in my hobbies. So thanks so much for having me on the show. Great, great. To be I think it's awesome to be eclectic. Fantastic. I think it's awesome to have eclectic interests and to kind of, you know, branch outside of the day to day of what we all do. But I guess on that topic, I just want to ask for our audience, Tenacity Cloud, tell us the story. You're the co-founder of the organization. What's the mission? What's the problem that you guys set out to solve with Tenacity Cloud? Yeah, absolutely. So this journey started with myself and my business partner, who I have worked with for the better part of a decade now. And his name is Jason Yeager. And it, it turns out we, we found each other in a past organization where we were successful. We had an exit and we're, we're yin and yang. We're the exact opposite people. So where, where I'm a bookworm, he's an avid golfer, right? And where he likes fast cars, I like, you know, my old pickup and going fishing. So we're just really complimentary to one another. What's interesting is that in our journeys, our separate journeys in our career, we both noticed a handful of issues that just kept recurring over and over and over throughout our career, no matter what the technology stack was, no matter where we were. In those issues, you know, all the way back into even for me, the nineties, the uh, were around just really understanding everything in your environment and having your arms mm -hmm. around it. Do you have visibility? Do you have transparency into it? Doesn't matter if you have a hardware stack and a closet somewhere or if you're now executing code against us to quickly build up and tear down your infrastructures. Do you know what you actually have? Do you know how it's configured? Are you aware of it? Do you know where potentially there are vectors of vulnerability? commonly are hidden just due to the scale of an environment, even modest scale environments. It's hard to understand all the potential points of issue or interest. And then, you know, it, how does that map to all the things I'm obligated to do as a CIO, a CTO, a CISO, or anyone throughout the organization that's, you know, helping protect whether it's healthcare data or someone's sensitive information, or maybe it's just trade secrets about the business. Those problems have existed over and over and over, and we have sure. tenacity to go solve some of those problems. Okay. So you kind of started that journey with that focus on visibility. And I, mm -hmm. I by the way, I kind of 100% echo that sentiment. And I've had that same challenge from my early days of running data centers back in 97, you know, I went through the whole transition from data centers in my office to data centers at a colo provider to managed kind of servers with Rackspace. And then, you know, I went to work at AWS in the early 2010s. And I've seen the transition on 
But really throughout that entire journey, I would 100% agree with what you're saying there. If you don't have visibility onto it, how can you have any level of confidence as to its security posture, as to how vulnerable it may be, et cetera? So when you kind of started that journey, what were the first kind of elements that you said, you know, okay, we're going to focus on visibility, but what's the next phase after that? Because visibility is important, but, you know, it just gives you a list. What do you do with that list? Yeah. Yeah. So we headed down a couple of paths and I'll talk about that and I'll talk about our pivots. So the very first thing we said is we came up with, you know, what, well, what are kind of the what are the pillars that your infrastructure is built on? And when we kind of took apart, whether it's working in large organizations, you're a part of enterprise architecture, or if you're in a small organization, you're just kind of thinking about your CCOE or your governance risk, what are the areas you have to look at? There's kind of four pillars. And those four pillars are your asset inventory. Just what do you have? Do you auto detect it? Do you know what it is? Second was, you know, really around cost and attack surface and optimization of the environment. Do you know what's actually out there and is it supposed to be there? That's a big component. And then the third part was around posture. How is it configured? And the fourth part is, can you map all of that out to your compliance obligations, your regulatory requirements, or your best practice obligations, maybe even your own internal policies and procedures? So that's where we started. We started with actually building out a solution for those four pillars. Okay. Okay. And you said there's been some pivots over the years. Talk us through that journey, because I'm sure there were some really interesting lessons learned along the way. We did. We learned that some, you know, not all problems are equal. And so we found out during this journey that the hardest part to get right, and it's one of the first tenets, really, when I go back to operating in highly secure environments, it's one of the first tenets is I have to get my actual base infrastructure correct. I have to understand my attack okay. surface. And the biggest enemy to running a great cybersecurity program is having a whole lot of junk in the environment that creates noise and buries the actual signal. And so we decided to narrow our focus. We've actually pivoted into focusing on how do you optimize your actual cloud environment? How do you get rid of legacy infrastructure? How do you find what's been abandoned yep. or orphaned? How do you find what's been over-provisioned? And, and how do you narrow that all the way down to just what you need and then keep it operating in that prime status? And so, you know, a term that really comes to my mind as you describe that is hygiene. And I've heard, I've talked to a lot of CISOs on this podcast and elsewise throughout my career. And it's one of these kind of overlooked, neglected practices that I think a lot of organizations kind of think of as not being high value add. Everybody likes to create. Nobody likes to go clean up after themselves. And yet, you know, not having good cyber cyber hygiene can lead to a lot of risk for the organization. So when you kind of thought about approaching it, was that a concept that came into a lot of your conversations or a lot of your own kind of product designs? And how did you kind of, you know, convey that message to customers who were looking at addressing some of these problems? Yeah, it's absolutely about hygiene. And I like to use this analogy. It's about something, it's something we don't even think about personally. You and I don't even think about it anymore because it's so fundamental to our career that we get up in the morning and we take a shower and we brush our teeth and we comb our hair and we get our hair cut once a month or it is. Those things don't even enter our thought anymore because they're foundational to having success and being successful in a society. And we haven't yet recognized that in cybersecurity or more broadly, just in technology in general, 
of having good hygiene should be as routine as brushing our teeth. Mm -hmm. And so you make that analogy to customers. I can imagine that they don't always pick up on that right away. Do you think that the transition to the cloud with everything kind of being on a utility pricing model has started to make that pain a little bit more acute? Because nowadays, if you've got bad hygiene, you start to get sprawl in your cloud accounts, your bill goes up. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden from a fixed monthly cost, you're now looking at variable pricing and you're looking at like, oh, crap, this month is 20 percent more expensive than last month. What's going on here? Has that helped the conversation at all or has it hurt or some of both? It's a little bit of both. And so the absolute motivator for an organization is the fact that they're missing out on upwards of 50 percent savings on their bill, that they're paying okay. twice as much as they need to. That's the absolute motivator. If you just brush your teeth in your cloud environment, you can save a lot of money. Now, a lot of them, you know, hit the easy button and they will use some sort of discount vehicle or commitment vehicle to save themselves 10 or 15% on the call bill. They'll feel really good about sure. it. They can now tell a story about it, but they missed the entire attack surface conversation of really understanding sprawl and what's going on in the environment. And that's an ongoing journey. Yeah. Optimization is not a one-time thing. You have to keep doing it. How the problem has gotten worse is that back in 1997 in the data center era that you and I were both in, changes to that environment came quarterly, maybe. And yeah. when we bought yeah. hardware, we bought for four to five years of capacity, which yep. has its own problems. Now the change rate is dozens, sometimes hundreds of times a day. And that creates its own sorts of, of complexity, both from, you know, understanding what the change is or the impact of those net changes on the environment, but also just in that your focus is on what do I need to change? Because cloud infrastructure as code has become strategically advantageous to businesses and they're going to leverage it to have actual power in their market where they're competing. Then that's where their focus is. Their focus isn't on, well, what, you know, what QA resources did I not spin down and now are sitting out there yeah. and are, you know, ignored surface. Yeah. And it strikes me, you know, I spent some time at AWS in the early days of cloud in 2010, you know, running around talking to CIOs and CTOs about this cloud thing and trying to convince them that it was real. And I would, you know, get a lot of pushback. And I kind of saw some of that early cloud customers adoption journey going from, you know, not believing it necessarily. I call that, you know, month zero. Month one is the let me get a developer to kick the tires. Month two is let me try to migrate one low risk internal workload. And then my month three problem that I used to get, you know, I get that call in month three from a customer saying, hey, I don't understand my bill or my bill is higher than I expected it to be. Are we still seeing a lot of those same behaviors now in 2022? We're still seeing a lot of that kind of friction as customers ramp up on cloud? There is, it is a different world and it's a different way of thinking about kind of your cost structures or your budget. Something that's highly variable in, in IT and in technology is not friendly to the CIO who's trying to plan their budget, right? Yeah. You know, tend to think in CapEx and amortization and you know, it's a very fixed model. So that brings its own problems. Now, the advantage now over 2010 is that there's tons of tools out there to help getting a yeah. tool that aligns to more of a financial way of looking at cloud. So meaning that it has business context. I think that's really critical. That's really important. Yeah. Understanding 
at the end of the day, this infrastructure is allocated back to some sort of revenue stream and being able to actually match that, understand it and have the business make decisions about it is really critical. And do you think customers are starting to get that? Because that's that's a promise that I think has been out there for a long time, which is to say like, hey, I can directly attribute the cost of this workload against the revenue produced by that application. And I can calculate kind of, you know, an application specific ROI, positive or negative or what have you. And yet, you know, a lot of the experience that I had from five years spent in the CSPM world is that customers have workloads all mixed up and they're not tagged properly and they can't differentiate the bill from workload A to workload B. So it's always been kind of a promise rather than something that is a reality. Are we starting to see any change there or any improvement or is it still kind of a mixed bag? What are you guys observing? It's a mixed bag, but it is improving. And I'll say there's two things that are are driving that improvement. One is in the best, most disciplined person organizations we've seen, they understand why tagging is important. They understand that being the driver of business context. Now, there's still some issues in that tagging doesn't solve the problem of shared infrastructure, right? And sometimes yep. there's just infrastructure yep. that's really, really hard to attribute. And so they still have to kind of solve those problems. I would say that those organizations, what they see is that the tools in the market that they've used historically, let's say the past five years, really aren't helping them with that need, right? And so they're looking to the next generation of optimization tools, of cloud management tools to help them there. So there needs to be some intelligence, some AI, some sophistication around cost allocation and understanding infrastructure and being able to potentially where those costs should be aligned if they're untagged or if they're kind of ambiguous infrastructure, you need to support that. On the other end of the spectrum are organizations that went to the cloud, they're either in the midst of a long-term migration strategy or they're stuck, or maybe they've completed it, but the environment from kind of that discipline perspective has largely decayed. And I call this the yeah. ball of spaghetti problem, right? Is yeah, sure. There is nothing to do, but implement it. You either have to unwind the whole thing, which is, is you just can't do yeah. from a business context, or you yeah. have to have tools that help you identify each noodle and understand whose plate it's supposed to go on. Yeah. And would you say, what are some of the behaviors you see from customers who get themselves to that point where they are kind of stuck or where they have that ball of spaghetti? You know, what are some of the, what are some of the behaviors you observe and maybe what are some of the best practices for people who find themselves in that situation with their organization? What would you recommend? Yeah. Those who are there who have that complete lack of understanding, overspending, don't understand their costs and their drivers, they are most often the characteristics or attributes they have is they're paralyzed. They're sometimes talking about repatriation. They're bringing it back in-house or going back to a colo. Basically, yeah, yeah. We've actually seen customers having those conversations. There's some small margin. I don't know what it is, 5% or something, or workloads are being repatriated. Sure. But it's if you're going down that path, then they're missing just all the opportunities that are actually cost advantageous over on-prem. And they're really not understanding the power that cloud gives them from the ability to respond and be strategically more competitive in their market, in their app development, et cetera, that delivered a market. And so I would say that they're, they are stuck in kind of analysis paralysis and don't know what to do. And those who are doing something about it 
are starting with, you know, how do I actually find the waste in my environment? I'll tell you, we did, we did an install with an organization. I won't name the organization, but they started a free trial with us within 48 hours. We had identified over 10,000 resources in AWS. They were e mostly EBS volumes that were just abandoned. They just, they weren't connected to anything. They, they weren't doing yep. anything. And their initial reaction to us was, no, your tool's wrong. Totally impossible. There's no way that that is sitting in our environment. And two days later, the guy reaches back out to us and goes, oh my God, you're right. There are all these resources. And they ended up saving almost 20 grand a month and reduce significantly the amount of surface in this particular area. And by the way, these were costs that couldn't be attributed. Like they were just right overhead, which yep. a lot of times their bill is more than 50% overhead. They just don't know where it's supposed to go back to. You want to be able to take that and eliminate all of that. And so just, yeah. just being able to get insight, just that glimpse that told them, here's the first place to go look and it's the biggest impact. It got them excited. It got them moving down the path of like, well, wait a minute, what else can we clean up? Okay, well, let's look at life cycle policies. Let's go look at your EC2 instances you've over-provisioned. Let's go look at all these NAT gateways that are just hanging out there and doing nothing. So got them moving down that path of actually reducing attack surface. And so along those lines, I'm curious, you know, now in 2022, aside from EBS volumes, and you mentioned, you know, NAT gateways, what are the other big kind of cost drivers that are also creating exposed attack surface for customers? Like, do you have, let's say, a top five list that you could share with the audience of things to look out for in their own accounts? The top five things that are happening or that we find are... Yep. Uh, abandoned base instances, a lot of times they're legacy database okay. instances. So they're running on EC2 servers. They're very expensive. And then when you go look at them, they're actually publicly exposed because they were probably yep. used for some project or some migration. And somebody at the end of the migration, the classic phrase is, well, let's just leave this hangout for a month just in case. Just, just in case. Later. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Just in case. Yeah. And a month later, nobody cleaned yeah. it up. And, you know, we, we found one particular instance to the tune of about $70,000 a year was just hanging out, right? It needed to be yeah. eliminated and it was publicly accessible on, you know, SQL, the port 1433. So that's one S3 buckets are another one where they get rampantly created data gets put on them. They don't really understand the objects that are inside of it and they don't really understand the permission set. And so we find over and over and over publicly exposed S3 buckets probably have data that shouldn't be exposed publicly. So yeah, it, you know, goes hand in hand with, you know, that needs to be eliminated. And then of course your biggest players are always EC2 instances. That's, that's the vast majority of the bill, even though more and more organizations are making use of containers and serverless infrastructure, E2 still takes the cake for largest amount of spend, largest amount of over-provisioning, largest amount of abandonment, and it's just basically left hanging out, exposed, unupgraded, et cetera, not managed. So those would be the top hit list for me. Gotcha. That's a great list. And so I think for anybody listening today, you know, if you're facing the same question, either you feel like your bill is too high or you're not sure, you know, there you've got a list of things that you can go quickly check through. Unfortunately, AWS doesn't make it super easy for you because you do have to cycle through the regions that you're using to go look for those things, regions and services. But, you know, this is where a value of a tool like Tenacity Cloud or any number of others in the market can help you bring that visibility into one central location to make some of those assessments. And I imagine that's a big part of what you end up doing on a day-to-day -day basis with your customers, Nick, is kind of having those assessments and those conversations. And so I'm curious, you know, when you have those conversations, one of the things I've observed is that even in the cloud, organizations still tend to behave 
like organizations, which is to say that finance people care about finance stuff and security people care about security stuff. Do you have any tips or any kind of insights as to how we bridge that gap and we make people understand that, you know, things like proper hygiene actually have applicability on both sides and they should work together to try to, you know, reduce these sprawl problems that we're all seeing? How do we get people to realize it's not just their silo? It's the hardest problem in technology is getting the people to talk. You know, it's, it's like putting a bunch of introverts in a room and telling them all to mingle. So, you know, as with that analogy, you need a little bit of lubricant and you can have cocktails at an event. But for us, it's giving them a common set of data and a common platform that they all can understand that, that it doesn't have its own secret language, that it isn't hieroglyphics to someone. And so when we first started, I'm glad you asked this question because when we first started, this is the problem we stated is in every organization, somebody's pointing at someone else and saying it's their problem. Security's pointing at the cloud guys and saying, yeah. they're the problem. They're the ones that you yep. need to fix yep. this right now. And that doesn't help anything. What helps is when a security engineer can go to a cloud engineer and provide context and say, Hey, listen, we're seeing this particular issue. And, you know, there's a number of ways that maybe we can solve this, but here's why it's a problem. And then you get this conversation that happens it goes like, well, wait a minute. Well, I have to write the app to do these things. So maybe we could solve it these six other ways. And suddenly a conversation starts. And so as we have matured our platform, we have listened to the different users, whether it's folks from the finance department or folks from the cloud team or folks from the security team and tried to write with context, not with a secret elite language that only a few people know. You will not see language in our platform that's riddled with acronyms and must have no in the environment. We've tried to make it very contextual, including the way that you look at financial data. Does, is the finance person looking at it? Because they're going to want to look at it like it's a financial statement. Whereas is it the cloud person or security person looking at it? Because they're going to want to look at anomalies and outliers. They're going to want to know, well, wait, I just want to yeah. add this one point out here. And so we always make sure that there's views that support the way they want to look at the data and that create collaboration throughout those teams. Yeah, I think it's a really subtle, but such an important point that you raised there, which is really the contextualization of this information. We talked at the beginning of this episode about visibility and how important it is to start with that as a baseline. And maybe the second step in that journey is to say, okay, I know what's there. Let me understand what each of those things that is out there is a part of to put that context around it so that you can start to address it properly. I mean, just if in simple terms, if you think about, hey, you know, here's my development environment, here's my production environment, like in our data center world, that was very easy because, you know, we didn't put non-production in the data center. Everything that was in the data center was production by definition and anything pre-production was in a rack in the closet in the office hallway or what have you with no SLA on it, right? But now in the cloud, we've got pre-prod and prod out there, and you would never mix those two things, or you wouldn't think about mixing those two things from a contextual perspective, because one has sensitive data and the other one shouldn't. I won't say doesn't, I'll say shouldn't, right? But this point is subtle, but important. As I said, you know, it's getting that context around it is super relevant and important. And I think the way you expressed it there about kind of using the context to bridge the gap is something that a lot of us could keep in mind. Because I think we, as people who focus on cloud security, have a little bit of a challenge to overcome in helping people understand how this transition actually does benefit the organization. 
I do see a lot of organizations that say like, hey, well, I'm just going to go to the cloud. Now I can rack up expenses at scale, you know, and I can do it more rapidly and I can do it with all these great tools around it. So I guess, you know, one of the questions that comes to my mind is when you work with an organization and let's say you've gone three, four months in, you gave that example of how you can kind of find all these problems within a day or two, right? Once you've seen them go through, let's say, a couple cycles of finding stuff, reducing their sprawl and so on, does that really help them to reestablish a confidence in moving forward in the cloud? And does that really kind of unlock more potential for the organization? What's been your experience there? Yeah, very much so. Once you sort of see the environment for maybe how dirty it was or how much waste was sitting there, it's hard to not see it again. And so yeah. just having that experience of having found those resources, and I'm going to take this to a second level because this is the next level yeah. of maturity. Once you clean up the environment, it's hard to not see it again. Well, then the very next thing you get to move into is actually then managing your committed use discounts, getting to take advantage of saving okay. plans and RIs and spot instances and eventually enterprise discount programs. It frees you up to start thinking about those things. And when you have to think about those things, optimizing them and understanding them, you just have a far better grasp on your environment and how you're actually using it. So, you know, mm -hmm. let's just say the ongoing use of, of, let's just take a really simple example, the ongoing use of, of a reserved instance plan and where you might do some analysis in your environment or, or tenacity does some analysis for you. And it tells you, Hey, you're using, you know, 10 of this particular instance type. And, you know, you can buy a plan that saves you whatever, 50, 60, 70% on those. And well, then you start to pay attention actually to the use of those. Are they staying updated? Are you moving to the newest instance family? There are new, sometimes potentially new discounts for actually doing the upgrade and switching plans, selling an old plan and buying a new one. When you get to that sort of proactive level of management, that waste conversation, it really does become, um, What's the right term? You get your arms around it, right? You're never optimizing yeah. once, but once you've optimized once, it's really hard to go back to living in that world of kind of sprawl and, and squalor. Be a little bit like moving into a house, remodeling it. It's now beautiful. It'd be really hard to unremodel it and try to live in it that yeah. way again. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really great kind of story, I think, that captures, or it's a great analogy, I should say, that captures the potential of what you can do once you do wrap your arms around the sprawl problem. Well, Nick, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Any final tips you'd like to leave with the audience regarding sprawl, hygiene, cost containment, anything from your years of experience with cloud technologies and from Tenacity? Any final pointers, tips, anything you want to share? The only thing I would say is sometimes people are hesitant to talk to someone else about the problem of, of what's going on in their environment. And I usually start with telling people there's no mistake you've ever made that I haven't already made in the many, many infrastructures I've run and the hundreds of clients that I've, I've helped manage. I've made some doozies in my career. It's really just about taking those lessons and applying them to how we're going to solve the problems of the future. So reach out. I'm always available. If if you all reach out on, on LinkedIn, find me or just email me. I am very vocal, very responsive. I'll hop on a call with anyone. Doesn't even have to be related to nasty, just related to, man, how do I do this? What's your experience with this? I'll tell you all about my failures yeah. <laughs> so that you can yeah. learn from them. It's the only thing I have to take away. And I hope that people feel that same way with everyone else because we learn from each other from our Absolutely. more from our failures than our successes. 
Absolutely. I could not agree with that last point more. We learn much more from our failures and our successes. I may or may not in, let's say, my second year out of undergrad, I may or may not have completely wiped our entire CRM database. That may or may not have happened. So we've all been there. But your point, I think it's so well spoken. Everybody's made mistakes. We can only learn when we collaborate and we're open to talking about them and learning from people around us, getting best practices and tips, tricks, from people like Nick, from those that are out there in the community doing the good work. Nick, thank you again for taking the time to talk with us today and helping our audience understand the importance of good hygiene in their cloud environment and how that helps to reduce attack surface and keep them safe. All right, we'll see you next time on the Ask a CISO podcast. Thanks so much, Jeremy.